Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, uh, Ellis Redding, known as Red, is released from prison after 40 years. He's there because of a foolish act of violence in his teenage years. And once he's released, he doesn't really know how to live or how to act. When he wants to go to the restroom or do anything, he feels like he has to ask for permission um, because he's become so conditioned to think that way and to live that way. And this is a struggle for him to the point that he's almost willing to or wanting to violate his parole just so he can go back to the safety and security of his prison cell where everything is figured out for him. And there's a really well thought out line that comes as a result of that moment where basically he says it's a terrible thing to live in fear. Um, as we've been going through this series, this is the last sermon in the series. It's been a very beneficial, I hope, for our entire church family. I, I can tell you this, it's going to come up again. It'll come up in different ways and in, in different thoughts and different you know, presentations, so to speak. But I think it's so core. I think what we've been really pressing against in this series is the issue that the gospel in our culture is being manipulated to be what we want it to be. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. You go back thousands of years and Paul wrote to a church, you know, the Galatians letter where he said, hey, listen, you're accepting the gospel that's not really the gospel. So this isn't anything new. I, I think the thing that we should be more concerned about is becoming arrogant to think that, you know, we have it all figured out and that the gospel is exactly what it should be in our culture, in our country, in our time or whatever. There's always this need uh, to really reflect on is is what I'm trusting and is what I'm putting my faith in exactly what God would desire uh, for me. And so, I, you know, this series, I think, has been very beneficial in that regard, and, and I hope it's been for you. And, and as we go into this last message, to, to keep that same thing out in front of us that we've been looking at the whole time is the issue of fear and control. You know, it's a terrible thing to fear, right? But at the heart of humanity, all of us have fear. And if we think that we're not fearful in some regard or some way, then we're pulling the wool of our own eyes. And it, what we need to know about our hearts is that we do have things that we fear. And if we don't respond well to that, our response will be to control. And we see this in the Garden of Eden as we looked at what Adam and Eve struggled with and what they did. And, and fear will reach out to try and control and manage and manipulate the things around us. And what that can do is it can cause us to create this mutated relationship, this relational posture as we've called them with God. That's not what he intended. It's not based on the, the core reality of the gospel. And it leads us to a place, it leads us to an identity that we were never intended to have. That God doesn't desire for us and it's a, certainly a struggle. The reality at the end of the day is stated simply, but we'll try to work through it and have some sort of thing to take home with us today, is a life with God is a life with love. 
You know, when we respond, like we said earlier in the sermon series, with one of these poor relational postures, we'll build this relationship with God that's not what He intended. But we respond to the fact that we do have things that we fear, rather than trying to control, respond in faith that God is in control, respond in hope that God has already provided for everything that we need, and respond in love. When God is with us, love is with us. And when we love, we're with God. And this is what we want to really focus our hearts in on and think about today. Our, our culture is obsessed with the idea of success. <laughs> the problem is that the goalpost in terms of success in our culture is always moving. You know, and it's very relative. Uh, how you would define it is different than how somebody else would define it. Uh, the problem is that our, our culture is constantly pressing us to seek for affirmation, uh, to seek for being productive finding fulfillment. These are just a few things, right? And all those things, if you think about them, uh, production and fulfillment and affirmation, they're all ideas of movement. They're all ideas of motion. I got to get going. I got to do something. The idea of stillness within our culture is absolutely not valued as essential or important in any way regard. Our culture does not celebrate the idea of sitting still, of reflecting, of contemplating, of being alone with God, of just being able to sit and know that He's present with us and to reflect on and understand what He has done for us and how He sees us, how He sees me, what His Word has said about what He's doing in me and for me as well. And here's the problem. When we fail to have silence and solitude with God, we lose sight of our true value. And yet we live in a world where culture is constantly telling us to be silent, to be still, to, to be in a state of non-motion is completely without any value or regard. And yet that's the one thing that when I'm still with God, when I begin to understand Him better and allow myself to be understood, not only in my own mind, but to Him as well, that that has the greatest opportunity for me to understand the value that I have, that I possess, the value that's in this person called Ross Runnels or in anybody else who is a created individual by God. We struggle sometimes with the reality and the knowledge that he knew us and knitted us together even from our mother's womb, but it's true, to the very point in the place that we find ourselves right now in this moment. God has that power, he has that capacity, and his value on us is intense. But yet, we don't ever have the opportunity in the kind of culture that we live in to live unless we really press ourselves in a way that puts us in a position to recognize and to see and understand that value. Just think about a couple of scriptures here. Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Luke 13, Jesus looking at Jerusalem and what a mess it was, says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. See, in terms of love and in terms of God wanting to be present, it's always his desire. It's always, he's always willing. 
in Jeremiah 31, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Uh, this is a struggle for us to know and for us to practice the kind of love with, that, that we find in God and that we have with God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 obviously is a really well-known New Testament uh, letter with this little small part about love that's used in a variety of places. Uh, the fact that we struggle with context when reading the Scriptures is evident that this is quite often a passage that's used at a, a, um, maybe a wedding, which I'm not saying it's wrong. You don't have to go back and redo everything because it was used at your wedding, right? But sometimes we take the idea of love and just romanticize it in our culture. But this is the issue. This is what we're talking about. Culture wants to press us into something. Paul told this when he wrote to the Roman church in, in chapter 12. He said, don't be conformed by the culture around you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the issue. So whether it's, it's thousands of years ago, uh, nothing is new under the sun or today, culture is constantly trying to form us to whatever it is that Satan wants to do in our lives to create a mutated or mistaken identity with God based on a gospel that's partially true. And this is what we struggle with. This is what we fight with. And as we look at that, 1 Corinthians 13 is a phenomenal depiction of the kind of love that God has. But the context is absolutely essential. Paul's talking to the church who's fighting about their gifts. And if you read Romans or 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see he talked about all these different gifts. And they're fighting and arguing over who's the best. Who's at the top of the food chain? Who's the, the one who gets the highest paycheck because they're the, the top of the hierarchical, you know, leadership uh, pyramid or whatever? And Paul says, you got it wrong. You got it all out of, out of whack. It's not about this being better than that or you're giving, you know, you don't have the right understanding of who God is if that's how you see things. So with that in mind, let's, let's read this together. I want to invite you to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your own Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, grab the one in front of you and you're welcome to take that and keep that with you. If you like using a digital version on your phone and you use the Bible app, look for the event, Canoe Creek Christian Church, and you'll have our sermon notes there as well. But let's jump into 1 Corinthians I just want to read the first three verses, and then as we wrap up the message, I, I, there's a few more verses that I want us to look at as well. Probably this will be very familiar to many of us, but I think it's going to be very beneficial to us as well, recognizing that when we're present with God, love is present with us as well. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, if, if you recall back at the beginning of the sermon series we offered up four different relational postures that are 
misconstrued postures or relationships with God. And look, I would encourage you, it's worth the investment of the drive to work or mowing the lawn. Just pop the earbuds in and go back and listen to some of the messages in this series. or Re-listen or listen to the first time. But Paul significantly deconstructs some of these poor relational postures in what he states right here in just three verses. Think about it. He discredits the life from God posture by saying, receiving these gifts from God, tongues, prophecy, whatever it may be, he says they're worthless. If you don't understand the love of God, don't practice the love of God. He's basically saying that God's not with you if you've got these gifts from God, but don't practice love. He he addresses the life over God by uh, understanding mysteries or possessing knowledge. He says, is of no benefit. All right, you're an amazing mental guru and you can do this or do that but you don't have love, you miss the point. Then the life under God posture is dealt with through the statement about having faith to move mountains, to know that God can do these immeasurable things, but yet to not have love, you miss the point. And finally, the life for God posture by saying that even if I give everything, even if I pour out every last drop and serve the mission till I'm gone, doesn't matter. It's like what Jesus said when he said, look, you say you've done all these things in my name, but I don't even know you. He says, if you don't know love, then you're not with God. And so Paul just dramatically deconstructs these things and says that love is greater than gifts. It's greater than knowledge, faith, and service because here's why. Love has no end. It's eternal. Remember, Fear leads us to control, and control is an illusion. I'm fearful, so I'm going to reach out and try and take care and do with these things rather than live with faith, live with hope, live with love. Um, But the idea that I can control this or manipulate this or pull this under my power and get these end results, it's really an illusion in the end. But here's why love is not an illusion. It's real because it's eternal. It has no end. It keeps on going forever into eternity with the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the kingdom where Jesus Christ is king. Now, now here's, I think, what is essential. We've got to work to get our minds wrapped around this. And this is why we've pa- pressed so hard on recognizing that God is not the treasure giver. He's a treasure. He's not the means to the end. The gospel isn't a way to get me to heaven. It's a way to bring me back into the presence of God. And he's the one that I want. He's the one that I desire. Because when we start looking at what people can do for us and just simply have a love for them, it's really not a love at all. In fact, when someone is just a device or utility for us, there isn't love. There may be passion, happiness, and even desire, but there isn't love. And see, this is why we must see God as the treasure and how we can know and we'll see in his word, he sees us with value in the same way. 
You know, first and foremost, we need to see that we're not just some sort of device in the hand of God. This is why the, the for God mentality is wrong. He's not just simply using you or using me or using his church to accomplish something in the world. So that's the mentality that our culture will press us into. Why? Because then we can be successful. Then we can do something. Then we can achieve. Then we can fulfill. What if the success is just being able to rest in the presence of God, knowing that he's done all he needs for you, and that he's given you a title or given you an identity that is greater than anything? We really struggle with some thought like that in our culture, but that's what God wants. He wants to be with us, not just simply use us to his divine plan or his divine will. And when we see ourselves as just simply, I'm a despised sinner, right? Or I'm just a general manager of life, or I'm a consumer of life, or I am a servant of God. And we do not see that we are God's loved and adopted child then we will always struggle to know the love that he has for us. And we will struggle to rest in that and reciprocate that love for other people as well. And to see someone beyond uh, what they do or what they have done is a significant struggle within our culture. To love someone beyond titles, beyond gender, beyond color, uh, beyond just their physical appearance or beyond anything else, is to love somebody like God loves us. And to love someone is to see them as God sees them without a label. I mean, listen, we, we live in a world where, to be honest with you, through the median, through the consumer-driven mentality that's constantly pressed in on us, sometimes it feels like I'm nothing more than a can of peaches, because that's the label that's put on me, right? Just waiting on a shelf to be pulled off, scanned, and consumed for some sort, sort of gain or benefit. And, and that's what Satan wants to encourage us to see. Because if we see that, then we just see ourselves with this simplistic, very narrow-minded label. Or that's what we put on other people as well. Rather than seeing ourselves as God sees us, which is so much more intense and broad than that. Because here's the reality. I'm a sinner. Yes. All right? I am a a manager or steward of my life. True. I am a consumer of the goodness of God. Absolutely. I am a servant of God. Yes, all these things to some part and piece do describe some of the things that I do. But none of them, none of them capture my identity. Only the one who can fully and totally create me and has the answer to my origin, and has the power to bring my life into being, is the one who can define who I am, what I am, or have the ability to understand that. Think about why this is so important. It radically shapes how we view and see ourselves, and how we view and see other people. And the reality of it is, is God is the only one who knows your heart fully. He knows your heart fully more than you know your own heart. I'll point that out in just a minute. And yet sometimes we put labels on other people so quickly and easily, even though we don't even know our own heart as well as we think we do, and only God knows the heart perfectly. Proverbs 21, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Psalm 44, 
Would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? So we sum people up with very narrow identities, right? Pastor, mother, construction worker, white collar, white trash, athlete, college student, tall, short, you name it. We're quick to do that or even apply some sort of very narrow label to our own selves or accept it. But God knows our heart. And here's the reality from his word. He's willing to give us an identity that's far greater than any of those simple cultural labels. He gives us an identity that we are an adopted son or daughter of God, that we are grafted in. See, the picture from when Jesus gives this picture, this illustration, this story of, of two brothers and one of them is the brother who takes the inheritance from the father and runs off. The picture of when he comes back is so important. He, he's just wanting to be a servant in the father's house. And, and the father says, no, you're not a servant, you're a son. Even though you've gone off to be a sinner in this way and whatever it is that you've done, he puts a ring back on him, he puts a robe on him because this means he has all the inheritance rights as a son again. That's the picture there. That's what God does for us. Regardless of how I think I should see myself or how I see other people or whatever it may be, that's the truth of what God does. And we have such a hard time seeing that in our culture because we've been forced for so long to see things in such a way to where not only do we see ourselves in a way that's wrong, we see other people in a way that does not encourage God's presence with us because it is not with the love of God that we see from his scriptures Here's why this is such a struggle. Look at what God continues to say to us and how Paul writes this in that letter, 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. Paul says, for now we know in part. All right? And then he goes on to say, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. They didn't have really shiny, perfect mirrors like we do. They had polished stuff to where you saw this distorted image. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. This part's important, I think. Even as I am fully known. What we have now is necessary and adequate to help us to know God, to lead us to a path to trust him and to follow him. What I have now in part is good enough to know that I am not what God intended for me to be when he created me. That there's something greater. There's something more. And God in his power and his ability has given me the opportunity, has achieved for me the opportunity to one day come in the full understanding of what that is in that day that he is assigned all of us will know in fullness exactly what he created me to be to know exactly the kind of love that he's poured out and prepared for me as I come to know him as well you know when it comes to understanding God there's this, this understanding is partial for us in this time and age in which we live when it comes to knowing myself how far I've fallen away from God or to what the depth he really created me to be I only understand that in part. When it comes to this idea of walking out with God, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, and having the presence of God in my life and walking out in the kingdom, 
of God. We're doing that in partial ways now, looking forward to how it will become perfect and full in the future as God is preparing that for us in his love. The vast nature of our identity can only be defined and described to us by the one who has given us the identity. The one who speaks us and has the power to bring us into existence, but yet we've become so easily willing to allow the culture around me to define me, to describe me, to give me a very narrow view of who I am when I have a God who desires to give me immeasurably more than I can imagine. This is the struggle of the human heart. It always is, always has been in this broken world. In this moment, we have the knowledge that God has given us the identity as a child of God, which is greater than sinner, manager, consumer, servant, farmer, self-employed, dad, deadbeat dad, so on and on and on and on, right? That's the labels that we try to give to some people sometimes, or even accept for ourselves, and yet God is saying, there comes a day when we will see what we really are face to face. Trust me. Put your faith in me. Put your hope in me. Let your love rest with me and with others. And you will see that day. And you will know exactly to which kind of, what kind of love I have created you. Uh, his love makes this possible. So here's something important. Accepting the identity God has for us, child of God, begins to teach us to love as he has loved, as he loves us. This is part of the big struggle, whether it's a spouse, a kid, a friend, a chance meeting of somebody, where I fail to express the same kind of love to them that they're due or deserving of, or even not deserving of, but how God would love them, I struggle in that moment because I don't really fully understand the kind of love that God has for me. Part of the reason why we struggle to understand that is because we're in a society and a culture that's constantly pressing us to motion, movement, success, doing, accomplishment. And we struggle to understand the kind of value that was placed inside every one of us. God knitted us together in our, in our mother's womb, and he knows us in this very moment. And the intense value that's defined by his love in putting each and every one of us into this room is something that we struggle to understand. As we understand it more, we will come to more fully know the kind of love that goes into each and every one of our hearts. And that will be expressed in how we love others as well. There, there's a story I heard about, goes back quite a few years. A famous violinist um, was going uh, on a ship to another country to share his gift in a concert with others. Uh, he, back in this time, people weren't always known by face because there was no social media and so on and so forth. He goes into this uh, violinist shop near where the shipyard is that he's going to be getting on this ship to go on this journey uh, in a place where he's not known in his local town. He wants his violin to be looked at briefly and make sure it's all on point, you know, for this concert he's going to do. Uh, so the shop owner, he looks at this violin and he quickly walks into the back and, you know, the, the violinist thinks he's just going to get something or whatever. Well, when he comes back a little while later, 
uh, he has two police officers with him. And they start to arrest uh, Kurt uh, Fritz Chrysler, this famous violinist, because the shop owner believes he's stolen this violin from this famous violinist. And he's like, no, no, you guys don't understand. This is my violin. I'm the guy. Um, he's got to get on a ship, and he's thinking, I'm going to go to jail. So in a last-ditch effort, he thinks, give me the violin. So they, they reluctantly relent, hand him the violin, he starts to play it. Oh, wow, you are the famous violinist. But I hope, I hope you see the illustration of pointing that is we're so quick, nothing new under the sun, rather, whether it's through issues with social media, through issues in culture, through issues of ethnicity, through issues of differences, and so on and so forth. We're constantly putting labels on people and defining them as we want to define them, but yet God defined us in a very powerful way, different than that. He gives us an identity that's powerful, not a label that's pathetic. Uh, think about that as I just read a couple of verses here from uh, 13, chapter 13 of Corinthians, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here, here's part of the problem, too, and we do this a lot at Canoe Creek. It's always like at the end of the message, all right, here's something we need to apply, go and do this. Here's the reality. I think that as we take each one of those things, there's, I think, like 15 different things there. And if you were to put your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with just people you meet on the street here and there, right, put all of them into a statement of action, and we can begin to weigh whether or not our love really reflects our knowledge of the love that God has for us. But it does press us to a performance issue. In all reality, I don't want anybody to feel like they've got to walk away this morning. I'm doing, I got to do this or I got to do that. I just want people to be able to rest in the knowledge of what God has done for them and how much he loves you. I think that has a potential when we get it, when we understand it, when we take the opportunities for solitude and silence with him to really recognize our value. That it's out of that grows the opportunity that in all these different ways Paul expresses here, we will love people in ways that we never thought that we could, in ways that we never thought imaginable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a strong word, sometimes hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. Uh, to know the vastness of your love is to it's like to pick up a cup of the Pacific Ocean and say, I know the Pacific Ocean. And, but Father, we're trying and, and we're thankful that you've expressed to us things through your servants like Paul to say that to know you fully will take a lifetime and take full revelation of you in the life to come. To know ourselves fully will take a lifetime and a fuller revelation of what you've done for us and how you value us in the life to come. But Lord, we know that you are present with us now and that you will help us to better understand these things as we pursue them. You'll give us exactly what we need to love the people around us in a way that is truly glorifying 
and aspiring to the kind of identity that you've already given to us, the kind of value that you've already placed on us, um, rather than us see it as a sense of achievement. Father, help us to know that, understand that, and just rest in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.